Hello, Achroesoir Podlediad Gwella yn fyw ar yr air. Hello and welcome to the Gwella on Air podcast. This podcast, brought to you by Health Education and Improvement Wales, provides a series of discussions with guest speakers across NHS Wales to inspire and spark ideas around creating compassionate working environments. Hello, my name is Emily Miller. I am a Leadership and Digital Senior Programme Manager in Health Education and Improvement Wales. And today I'm here with my colleagues, Helen Thomas, Adrian Neal and Emma Thomas. So if we can just do a round of introductions, that would be great. Uh, Start with you, Helen. Can you give me your uh, name, your title, your role and how your day has gone so far? Oh, okay, uh, Helen Thomas. I'm the I'm the uh, uh, assistant director for leadership and succession in HEIW. Um, how has my day gone so far? Well, I'm on my second coffee. I've had a lovely walk to Costa, and I'm looking forward to participating in this podcast. Thanks, Hal. And and we're going to kind of be doing a double act, aren't we? Um, we certainly are. <laughs> so thank you. Um, Adrian, do you want to go next? Same same questions to you. Borodar, morning all. Um, I'm Adrian Neal. Um, I'm a consultant clinical psychologist and, and my day job is Head of Employee Wellbeing for an Aaron Bevan University Health Board. Um, how have I been so far? Is there an edit to this? <laughs> I won't say squirrels because they'll help laugh. But um, it's a Thursday um, and tomorrow's Friday, so that's good. Um, Today's a good day. I've got a team meeting later, so I'm looking forward to to meeting my team again. Um, uh, It's a monthly meeting. Uh, Yeah, the day's much the same in many ways. Um, They start with wading through emails and and the the suitable level of anxiety that that brings. But we're getting there. We're getting there. Thanks, Adrian, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, and then over to you, Emma. Hi, good morning. I'm Emma Thomas. I'm here as the mediation coordinator, network coordinator for the All Wales Mediation Network, um, which is part of our healthy working relationships approach in Wales. Um, my day so far, so um, my day starts really early. My husband's a really early riser, so I'm about five hours in at this point. So it's almost lunchtime for me. So, Wow. I don't know how you still got your eyes open. <laughs> I know, that, that's because I go to bed very early as well. Ah, there we go. There we go. Well, thank you for joining us as well. And hopefully you don't have to do too much mediation here today. <laughs> and we have a nice conversation. Um, so I think I'm going to um, hand over to you, Hal, now to kick off uh, some of the discussion. Thank you so much, Emily. So, Emma, um, Whilst you're still awake with us, I'm going to direct the first question to you, if I may. So tell us a little bit about um, healthy working relationships. I know you've been working on this with a number of colleagues from NHS Wales for some time. What is it? So since the launch of A Healthier Wales in 2019, it's become really important for us to do whatever we can to improve how we work with each other. And... um, we know that working together is really good for our health and our well-being, but we decided to be um, more innovative about it. And we've been working with um, in full partnership with the trade unions, Welsh government, NHS experts and leaders across Wales to really develop a different approach to policy strategy, 
which is healthier working relationships. So we've been reviewing um, dignity at work policies, grievance policies to really develop and test a much broader supportive approach that aims to make it more normal for everyone to take active responsibility for our relationships in the workplace. We want to be able to encourage better conversations and having the courage to speak up when tensions arise. Thank you, Emma. And that sense of connectiveness that you just talked about there, really, really evidence based, isn't it? I know that when we've worked and looked at some of the evidence about compassionate leadership with Professor Michael West, there's significant evidence that, you know, being connected is, is really important to your health and well-being. And that's outside of work, but also inside of work. So I can see the value of the work that's been progressed here with healthy working relationships. Yeah, the, the, the evidence is is building sort of year on year. It's not something we talked about in the past, um, but there's a lot of research now around the impact of incivility in healthcare um, and the impact on teams, um, team working um, and people personally when things aren't as right or as, as good as they can be. So we really want to make sure that we, we aim for this excellence that we know we get when teams work together, when members feel safe, everybody has a voice, and we start to really think about how we build those relationships and develop them together. Thank you for that, Emma. Yeah, thanks, Emma. And I guess all this work is going on. Can I just ask why? Why now? Why is this movement needed now? Why, why is this happening now? Um, I, I think, as I said, you know, it started with Althea Wales um, sort of two, nearly three years ago. Um, but it's it's not something that's just happened now. It's just something that we've learned more and more about recently. Um, we know that the evidence shows that when disagreements in work um, and relationships break down, the consequences from that are just really long reaching. And we looked at our existing policies and the things like the existing grievance process. And we knew that actually the way it was going wasn't working for everybody. So very rarely do grievance process deliver positive outcomes for anybody that's part of that, that helps restore their working relationship. We spend an awful long time huge proportions of our life in work and we really want to enable people to be happy and feel safe when they get there. Um, the process of raising a grievance can be really lengthy, polarises people and can damage relationships further, creating this sort of culture of blame, culture of blame that we, we knew we wanted to move away from. So we wanted to really focus on the people and develop some of the work around that. So we reviewed scoped good practice and other approaches to workplace conflict, bullying and harassment, and really wanted to look at how we could create processes that supported and encouraged people so that we could help them meet the core needs of behaviour at work. So the, the things that we really need about autonomy and control and belonging, the things that link with all of the other work we've been doing around compassionate leadership, around values and behaviours, around health and well-being, it really kind of brings all of these different things together so that we can create a culture of trust um, and openness within the NHS. 
Fantastic. Emma, that's Thanks, great. Emma. Yeah, that's great. And uh, just to just say there, sorry, Hal, to cut over you there. <laughs> but yeah, it's great that we can try and look at ways to avoid getting to that stage of going through these formal, really horrible procedures um, that no one comes out of and unscathed, you know, um, and it always leaves kind of this residual damage, doesn't it? So avoiding getting to that point is is, is a really positive thing to do. So, uh, yeah, that was great. Thanks. Over to you, Hal. Sorry to cut over there. <laughs> Not at all. That gives us a great segue into my next question for Adrian, because you talked about their policies um, and, and how we change our behaviour and approach to policies. You mentioned compassionate leadership principles there and compassionate leadership. So my question to you then, Adrian. One of our compassionate uh, leadership principles is around managing behaviour positively, openly, courageously and ethically. How does that dovetail into some of the work that we're doing with a healthy uh, working relationship? And does it dovetail uh, at all, actually, or does it take us in different directions? I've got the easy question, clearly. Crons, <laughs> <laughs> um, OK. Uh, hmm. Yes, no, and not sure, I think, is the answer there, but uh, um, with a bit more detail. Um, I guess to answer that, I need to take a step back. Um, so uh, um, healthy working relationships in the, I guess for me, very similar to Emma, you know, my interest in it as a as a psychologist is it as a, I guess, as a tool to create change, cultural change in a working environment that is, in my eyes, often hostile and um, and this is going to sound a bit dramatic, maybe, but um, you know, but essentially um, hazardous, um, psychosocially hazardous. I think we we're only just realising that working in in the NHS, and I'd extend this to the the, the um, social care sector as well, because our work is very similar. Um, you bring a lot of people together who are very keen to make a difference. You make that very hard because making a difference is extremely hard in the ways that you might want to. And you also surround them with with, um, you know, with, with the ill, the dying and the distressed. Um, so our industry is really quite hazardous, I think. Um, much the same as industries in the past were and they've been recognised for their physical hazards. Um, the NHS is psychosocially hazardous, so I think we're, we're just at the point of realising that and, and as a result we have to go about building in internal protection and mitigation for that because work is vitally important, but protecting our workforce is also vitally important. And, and um, Healthy Wales, I think, gave us an absolute opportunity to start to have this conversation like we've never had before. And I, I, I describe myself as a refugee from NHS England. Um, NHS England never had that mandate as a as a nation. It's far more fragmented. They're starting to catch up, but in different ways. But for us in NHS Wales or public sector Wales, really, um, we are allowed to start to understand the risks of our work and build in mitigation. And part of that is the healthy working relationships as, as a as one of many threads in order to change this this behemoth, which is uh, um, NHS culture. So I guess uh, and I would, I would view compassionate leadership as another tool to do that by themselves. I think they're bound to fail, but together 
combined with other threads and a collective energy towards uh, um, a kind of shared vision of what we can do. I think that is the, that's the solution for this. So, uh, you know, if, if we kind of step a bit closer, um, some of the underlying principles of healthy working relationships, I think absolutely resonate with, with compassionate leadership. Uh, you know, we're a social species, you know, we, we you know, we survive and thrive collectively and individually we die. We're pretty puny and um, our ability to form groups, to huddle, to support, to learn, to grow has, you know, resulted in us being, you know, the most effective species. Actually, that's controversial, but certainly most dominant species on the planet. Some may disagree and may not like that, but we are. Um, but it's because we socially work together. Now, what happens when people are stressed um, and they're working in threatening environments is that those those social bonds get threatened um, and fragment. And we've seen it time and time again. You're seeing in Afghanistan now, you know, threatened people do not act rationally. Threatened people are not compassionate. Uh, they are not kind because they are they've gone into threat mode. They are trying to protect themselves and their kin. Um, so, so there's a paradox working in NHS uh, Wales or England, frankly, just working in this sector is that we may want to be compassionate, but the environments we're in make it incredibly hard. And as a result, conflict is common. Um, I think conflict is uh, um, part of human nature, but often these conflicts get toxic. They they undermine that ability to form relationships, to support each other, to protect each other. And incidentally, um, we know that uh, the, the quality of your social connection is a much better predictor of your ability to cope way beyond an individual's ability to cope. So this whole argument about individual resilience pales into insignificance when you look at group resilience or group cohesion. So to me, healthy working relationships speaks to that as a, a way of supporting and developing that powerful internal resource that is the social group, but in a structural way. Um, and Emma is exactly right that the, the grievance policies of, of old, they are they were being so they're so outdated. Um, it very ends well. It often makes the situation worse. Um, it causes harm. We want to avoid harm where at all possible, and and we could apply this principle to so many processes that we 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 roll out in, in our, our highly bureaucratized NHS. Um, but actually, we want to foster a philosophy of collaboration and cooperation where possible. So to me, this is where these worlds overlap. Sorry, I ranted a bit there, but. Not at all. Um, that was a, such a comprehensive answer there. You've probably answered all my other questions in one. Thank you, Adrian. Um, I've never thought of uh, the NHS or, or care being emotionally hazardous before. So uh, they were very strong and powerful words that you used then that did actually strike a chord with me. And you mentioned also, you know, that the health and well-being of our workforce, the connectivity that we need from each other and the support we need, uh, that has to influence how we manage from a workforce and OD perspective and how we need to change policies and need to adapt our leadership. So a, a wonderful answer. Let me just ask you one more question and then uh, we can move on to Emma to, to, to ask another uh, one or two. How will we know, Adrian, that our approach to uh, healthy working relationships and indeed compassionate leadership has been the right approach. What will we be seeing going forward? Another, another easy question for you. Ouchie. Um, 
And we're struggling with this at the moment, actually, looking at the in our in our kind of measurement subgroup because we do things need to be measured. But but like so much research, the measurement needs to be ethical, morally guided, and you know, kind of not invasive, but has to has to look at the right things. Um, I guess there's there's two ways of looking at this, and actually this this also links to a conversation with with um, with Michael West. I had a, a couple of years ago where he was saying, um, if you ever get drawn, so particularly from a well-being point of view, but these things overlap massively. If if you ever get drawn into a, a, a cost argument about the, the economics of compassion or well-being, um, it's a bit of a trap. Um, and he recommended this book, uh, Compassionomics, which is brilliant because it gets you out of that trap for those that have to have the numbers. But actually, it's it's a bit of a there's a there's a moral bind there because actually it shouldn't be a we should not be worried about the outcome because it is morally exactly the right thing for us to do and and you know that that we're a we're a, 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 an organization if you like to think of nhs wales that is driven morally we're intrinsically motivated we're not motivated by external factors like money otherwise it's madness working in this sector frankly um but we're driven by something deeper, and that 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 links to to the compassionate leadership um, model, which is in a way preceded by the self determination theory model, which is looking at what actually drives us. So, so in in many ways, if you want to look at what how effective this is, you can look at the surface level. You can look at you know how many more you know grievances versus mediation uptake. Uh, you, you know you can look at um, metrics around um you know satisfaction and and kind of experience of work which are quite nice but a bit, bit vaguer you know you could do some health economics looking at the cost savings of people not drawn into these processes and, and if you were you know really ahead of the game you could look at some of the kind of qualitative experience of people uh, that have had these experiences and you could look at what if the avoidable harm that you've done. So there's a number of threads you can take. Um, I, I still think there are metrics we're not using around engagement, around the quality of the working experience, um, things like sense of um, purpose and meaning, because this stuff absolutely it's like kryptonite to your sense of meaning. If you get caught up in this and it, it rubs up every cell in your body that wants to do something meaningful, it's going to be harmful. So asking those questions, I think, will give us some longer term measurements. But I do think it's a long game. You know, I, I, I really like the metaphor of trying to change the direction of the oil tanker. You know, it doesn't just do that. Otherwise, everyone's doomed. You know, you, you're, you're doing incrementally. So we have to have a realistic time frame. It's the right thing to do. What it does is a sec is a secondary question, but it is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, and it's a bit like recovery from COVID. If anybody thinks we recovered in the next couple of months or year, I mean, that's just naivety. It's going to take us years. This is changing culture that has been embedded for years. It'd probably take a generation, frankly. Um, but that's my get out of jail free card. <laughs> Thanks, Adrian. Thank you so much again. Another really comprehensive answer and, and lots of things. Like you say, it's not easy. It's not quick. Um, it's going to take us a long time, but we are on the right track and we are starting, you know, or we're continuing to, to put things in place. Um, and we're going to give you a little bit of a break now um, and I'll keep asking you these difficult questions for a moment. Um, so 
I just want to hand back over to you, um, Emma, if that's okay, and just find out who's been involved in this work to date. So, um, there were a whole raft of people that have been involved right from the start. We've had psychologists, we've had union representatives, we've had interested parties, we've had people from HR, people from learning and OD, people from outside the NHS and Welsh Government. I think that the way we looked at it was the more people that input into this, the better it would be. Um, and it's been constantly changing and developing. And, and I would say, you know, all of those groups are still involved because we know that the only way to get it right is not to say, oh, this is it, it's finished, but to look at it and check it and measure it. Um, like Adrian said, the measurement's not easy, um, but it, if it were easy, we'd have done it a long time ago, I think. Um, but I don't know that you can go far wrong by being compassionate and listening to people. Um, I, I would find it difficult to, to, to say that that would be a bad thing in any circumstance. So what we need to do is make sure we're not disrupting other things as we try and embed this and, and move forward and move forward as a group. And, and that's not unusual when you look at how HR and workforce and the unions have evolved over hundreds of years. It's a constantly shifting thing where we learn, we develop, we learn, we develop and we move forwards. And so um, anybody that wants to be involved needs to get involved because it, it's not something that one person could do by themselves. Everybody has to be part of this. And, and one of the key messages is that, that there's this sort of level of personal responsibility for every single person in the NHS to, to just start each day thinking about, you know, what can I do to create a healthier working environment and build those relationships with other people? I, thank you, Emma. If I can just come in there, um, both you and Adrian has just talked about this being the right thing to do. And it does resonate with our consultations when we developed the workforce strategy and we did a huge range of consultation but also when we had our our leadership um, conference and again we asked the workforce what is the workforce that you want what is the culture that you need in the workforce what would you need to, to thrive as individuals and to have that psychological safety so you can work as a team support each other as a team and deliver ever improving care to the people that we serve and our communities and all of the things that you've just said both you and Adrian and all of the the principles you've talked about and compassion and healthy working relationships that's been echoed by our workforce so I know we talk about measures but we are listening as we as, as we develop this as you say and consulting and working with a huge range of stakeholders to ensure we get this right so uh, yeah great answers and thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Emma. Um, and I guess just leading leading on from some of that, where can we find resources, tools, etc., around some of this work? There's so much out there, but the starting point is probably on the HEIW website and Gwesha. So um, we've got information about what that means, places to go to, and there's more material being developed all the time, but it links then to some of the work around compassionate leadership. So there's stuff about how you can develop a healthier working relationship, how you can manage conflict. Um, and then, you know, 
just look for material there you know you only have to put healthy working relationship into google and there's so much stuff that comes up um but we already have a lot of these skills as well when we're talking to staff we're talking to managers it's actually the stuff that they know the stuff that they do automatically the stuff that they do with their friends and their families um, and it's just making sure that you remember to do that and i think Sometimes when we're in a workplace or we're in a situation which is busy and stressed, we forget how important these things are. Um, and it's often seen as the fluffy stuff that isn't important. And actually what happens when you don't deal with that fluffy stuff is it becomes very unfluffy um, and very challenging and difficult and stressful. And we, we've just you know, we're going through a pandemic. Like Adrian said, it's not over yet. We've had 18 months of, you know, absolute trauma, things changing that we weren't expecting, people behaving. So understandably, we're all stressed. But, you know, just remember that we each have a part in this. And if you want to know more, just go and look. There's so much material out there. But, you know, start with HEIW and GRECA. There's lots of material that can help. Thanks, Emma. And with our principal spotlights now, we'll be pulling all of those resources together on Gwetla, um, with our um, principals and other resources, including this podcast. So we are going to have a whole host of things that we've kind of curated together for people as well as, like you say, going off and searching for other things as well. Um, and just kind of reflecting on you saying about something you need to think about and and it's it can be hard to to display these behaviors all the time especially when you're in pressurized environments um so easy to revert to command and control and things like that and we use our compassionate leadership compass um to kind of refer back to so i've got it on my virtual background uh when we have meetings and and fion who's our technical support today will know that i start our meetings with got the compass we're signing up to this we're not reading emails when we're talking we're paying attention and we are you know trying to use that compass as almost our north star to guide our interactions and behaviors to just help to keep reminding us you know that that's what's guiding us here oh thank you so much oh come on emma sorry don't want to cut you off we all have bad days oh my gosh everybody has a day where they get up and you know they bump their car they have a row with their teenager, you know, whatever that is, we all have bad days, Mm. but it's not, you know, it's remembering when you say something you don't mean or do something you didn't mean to do, to go back and undo that quickly. Yeah, yeah. And we've got to be kind to ourselves as well, haven't we? We're not perfect, you know. Um, So be self-compassionate as well and go, do you know what? I did make a mistake, but I'm not perfect. I've got a lot going on, but I can go and unpick that, like you said. So that's great. Thanks, Emma. And I think just I think that's wrapping up quite nicely there. But I just kind of wanted to put you on the spot, Adrian, (laughs) to bring you back in finally. Um, But just to ask you, is there a book or an article or something you've read recently that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Oh, I'm. It's it's funny. I'm I'm a I'm a, a bit of a kind of um, hoarder when it comes to materials, but I don't often read articles. I've got my desk. I've got a couple of articles. So there's a another one: psychological distress and resilience in first responders. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that was published. That's a Welsh paper, so yeah. I recommend reading that. Um, and I've also got this. 
which was given to me by a colleague, oh, which is lovely. lovely and you know, I wouldn't yeah. have gone near this with a barge pole as a no. professional psychologist, but it's really lovely. It makes a lot of sense. So, I, no, no, no pearls of wisdom. Um, <laughs> no, that's a lovely yeah, book. It's the it's the boy, the mole, and the what, what's the title of it again? Sorry, Adrian. The, uh, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. You know, it's just it's like it's like kind of a it's a you know, collection of fables and, and emotionally tuned in lessons of life. You know, it's just beautiful and, yeah. and makes so much sense. Um, yeah. But I, I can be a bit of an academic snob sometimes to my own detriment. But there's so much <laughs> material out there. And I guess what I'd recommend is is when you read material, actually I'm onto something now, is, is be, <laughs> be, be a kind of critical consumer because particularly around the well-being material because there's a lot of rubbish out there and there's it's a huge industry so just question things um but but question them through through the lens of of the kind of the theory you know so you know we know the compassionate leadership theory is sound you know psychologically it's built on some very strong foundations so you know when you when you're reading materials about what is good for your well-being what is good for your team just question it um because it, it's it's a very kind of noisy market out there um but this there are some gems brilliant thank you adrian and that book actually one of our colleagues has got it and was sending us little images um yeah, yeah. On, uh, you know uh, um kind of regularly um and they are they're lovely aren't they lovely illustrations lovely yeah. um thoughts and and comments in there so thank you for that sorry to put you on the spot <laughs> no actually i've got one more thing i can say you've got oh, me started yeah. now so so just and this is my you know, my, my inner desperation to share psychological knowledge. Um, before we're cognitive beings, before we think and we're logical, we're emotional, you know, millions of years before we even framed a belief, um, we were feeling. So our emotion centers are far more developed than our cognitive adult modern brain. So books like this will speak to our emotions and, and that is incredibly powerful um, and we can't we can't minimize that. Um, but the emotional impact of being in a group, that's the stuff that binds you, not necessarily the logic. Wow, brilliant. I love that. I love that to end it on that. So thank you. That was great. I really like that. So thank you, Adrian. Thank you, Emma. Can I add another book that people might like to read? Oh, come on, Emma, another um, book from you. Which I'm reading at the moment. It's called Nonviolent Communication by Mar Marshall Rosenberg. Um, right. And it's got some tools for healthy relationships in it, but um, it's a reasonably right. easy read, but um, links wow. really nicely with what we're doing at the moment. Oh, fantastic. Thanks, Emma. That's great. We've got a couple of good recommendations there and thoughts to kind of leave this episode on. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, brilliant discussion. Really enjoyed it. Um, we've mentioned Gwetla. So as always, if anyone wants to access any of the resources we've mentioned today, um, please access NHS Wales Leadership Portal .hrw.wales and there's a whole range of materials resources what we've discussed there will be available with our principal spotlights so please make your way there and this podcast is obviously going to be available there as well so thank you everyone thank you Fion for your technical support in the background and um, have a good day thank you Diolch i chi am rando at a podliadiad hwn a gan addysg a gwalla iachid Cymru 
This podcast was brought to you by Health, Education and Improvement Wales. If you have a compassionate leadership story you would like to share, we would love to hear from you. Please contact us at heiw.leadership.programme at wales.nhs.uk.